0: How God may work through this time. But I realized here a few weeks ago that uh, we're going to run into a hitch in that today is Mother's Day, which is wonderful and it's amazing and it's awesome. And we're going to talk about that. But something my dad told me once, who's a minister and Scott Laird's here this morning, Scott said it in a different way when I was a young minister and I was working in Great Falls, is that on Mother's Day, the last thing you want to do is be really tough on moms. And that does not go over well. Just don't do it. Don't even pretend to you know that. And so I, you know, I learned that. And I've, from learning from other people that have gone before me, I have not done that. And then I realized, wait a minute, we're scheduled to talk about spiritual leadership on Mother's Day. And I'm not sure, how am I going to do that? How is that going to work? Do I need to, to uh, how do I cast that? And so here's the deal. We're going to talk about fusion in our family, spiritual fusion in uh, families. And I'll explain what that is here in just a minute. And so let me share this. For you ladies that are here that are mothers, uh, we're excited. uh, We want to honor you today. And my gift to you is I'm going to share and give a lecture to all the men in your life. Okay? And so this is the day that you can look down the aisle and and say, listen, you know, this is what's supposed to be happening. Or you can elbow or you can call up and say, you need to listen to the lesson today from Chris because this is very, very important. You know, this is the day that you can do that. Okay? Here it is. Prepare. And you get a, a... you can just go for it. That's my gift to you. But we're, we're going to talk about, Paul talks about in Timothy and Titus, some spiritual qualities of men that you want to serve as, as shepherds, as elders. And some of those qualities come out of how they interact with their families. Okay, we're going to talk about that. But I want to define a term, first of all. Well, the term fusion. What comes to your mind when you think of the term fusion? Now, I'm going to confess here The ammunition that I use in my rifle is fusion ammo, and so that's immediately where my mind goes to is a type of ammunition. But I think that, well, the definition is much bigger than that. A fusion, by definition, is taking some things that are very different, different parts, and putting them all together in a cohesive unit, making different elements one entity. That's the idea. And so I thought about it. Moms do this all the time, don't they? Moms do this whenever they have to get all the kids in the car, taking all of these different kids that are going all sorts of different directions and get everybody in the car. That's fusion, taking different elements and putting them together. We see fusion in food. You take all these different ingredients that separately might or might not taste good, and you put them together into something that is amazing, that works together well. I think we see it in music. Fusion of music means you take one type of music, for example, jazz, and you add rock to it, and there's this great fusion that comes together. And there's bands that are known for blurring those lines between country and rock and, and that. And that's called musical fusion, taking different parts and putting them together so they work better, hopefully, together than they ever do in any other way. You think about it with physics. In fusion, you take different elements and you put them together and it makes a massive amount of energy in nuclear fusion. You see, sports teams do this. Is Sometimes a sports team will have players that are not all that great, but together somehow they're able to come together and they play better than anyone could have ever imagined that they do because they are able to fuse their talents together. You see the same sort of thing with Timothy and we've been reading from Timothy and Titus, so let's go ahead and go to 2 Timothy. I want to share something with you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul is talking to Timothy who is a faithful servant of God. And Paul refers to him a lot in his letters. Uh, You can see that he really appreciates Timothy. He's affectionate towards him. He loves him as a spiritual son in the faith. And it appears that Timothy had... uh, It doesn't mention anything about his father or grandfather, and it's very likely that they weren't on board spiritually. But what Timothy saw from his grandmother and his mother was a spiritual fusion. Every aspect of their life in some form or fashion came under the umbrella of honoring God, being spiritual. So whether they were at the market or whether they were at home or whether they were walking along the roads, whatever it was, there's something about these two ladies that they said, God is never left out of my life. God is always there and I'm going to fuse God into every part of me. And what happens when we do that is that's where generational faith comes from is Timothy's grandmother and his mother shared something with Timothy that caught his attention early on. He said, that's what I want to be. And so when we took a look at uh, 1 Timothy and Titus, with the qualities that Paul talks about what elders are supposed to look like, it's no wonder that how we interact with our families is a big part of those qualities. So let's go ahead and read them. We've read them the last few weeks. We'll read them again. I'll start in First Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer de- desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect." If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Okay, let's fast forward to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And Paul tells Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so here's some qualities that Paul talks about that we are to demonstrate as men in our families. Okay, ladies, you're off the hook today. This is your time to just elbow, okay? I'm going to talk to the men here for a bit. One of the things he brings up initially and immediately is... Be faithful to your wife. Now, I uh, found an article. You see this picture? I love this picture. This came out of the Christian Chronicle. And some. if you want, you can get the Christian Chronicle. It's a newspaper that comes out of Oklahoma that uh, deals with uh, spiritual things and events happening within the churches of Christ. And there was an article in there that I really appreciated. And it's an article about, um, and I'll get the, their names here, Dale and Fern... Doyle are their names, and it tells their story. They just celebrated 75 years together, and uh, I think I married way too late for Sylvia and I to get 75. I'm going to be north of 100. Well, no, I'll be 100 if we uh, we get to 75, which is probably not likely, but who knows? Maybe it'll happen. But this couple has just recently celebrated their 75th anniversary. Sylvia said, no, no, there's no way he's going to make it that long. I saw her just, you know. oh, wait, I can't confess for my wife. Happy Mother's Day, Sylvia. She's, she's got, the, see, I'm a bad example there. I'm going to repent and, and do better. So they've celebrated 75 years together. And what's fascinating about this couple, this is not a couple within the world's eyes that have high-powered jobs. They're a couple that has just been faithful to each other throughout their lives. And they, it tells a story about how the, um, Dale was in high school in Oklahoma in 1945, and he saw this young lady walk across the gym floor. And he said, hey, who is that and what's her name? And the person he was talking to said, that's my cousin. And so it kind of went from there, but at least he had her name. And they went out to a movie, and, and uh, they say the rest is history. And they spent their life walking side by side, being faithful to God and being faithful to each other. Uh, there's uh, really some fascinating stories in there. Uh, Dale worked most of his life as, uh, in customer service at, at, for an airline company down in Miami, and she worked as a longtime church secretary. In fact, at this church in Florida, in Miami, she was the church secretary for 29 different ministers. Think about that. And she said that she was going to write a book about all the different ministers and the stories about them that she worked for. And one of the elders said, I will pay you $1,000 not to do that. So I enjoyed that. I get a kick out of that. But this is what one of the elders had to say about Fern and Dale. He said, and I love this quote, and pay attention to the last part of the quote. is probably my favorite. Fern and Dale are such a beautiful example how putting God first in your life blesses every aspect of your life. They are so sweet and have so much love for each other as well as everyone in their church family. They're a wonderful example of a loving couple who are totally committed to God and to each other. As a team, they are dedicated in service to the Lord and his work. When I grow up, I want to be just like them. That was from one of the elders there. That I see such a great example in them. They're still a wonderful example to me. If I fast forward towards the end of the article... What I found is when you ask people that have been married a long, long time, what's the secret to being married for all these years? Usually, there's not some sort of earth-shattering answer. It's like the old rancher that I told you about that I asked years ago, "What's the secret to being married 60 years?" You take it one day at a time and keep breathing. And he just kind of looked at me like, "What do you think it is?" And okay, well that's good to know that. They were asked this question at the end of the article: What was the secret for staying married so long, Fernandale? They have six grandchildren, nine great grandchildren. They said, We just went into it thinking this is it. There was no reason to be apart anymore. The fact that I think God put us together made a big difference. It's been quite a trip these 75 years, she said, and 76 if you count the year we dated. There's nothing earth shattering there. There's not a secret that any one of us couldn't guess, couldn't have guessed. But as I look at this picture here, I think, Hey, that's awesome. Together since 1946. a beautiful picture of this couple walking side by side through life together. And I have to imagine, and the article didn't talk about this, but that they would have had their difficulties at times. They would have had their frustrations. They would have had their times where they thought, what on earth did I do this for? Or why on earth did we ever have children? Or, you know, whatever that may be. Or my husband's being a jerk face. Or my wife is, whatever, fill in the blank. They would have had those struggles just like the rest of us. And would have lived through all those struggles. But somehow, some way, this couple just said, Hey, we're in this. It's going to be all right. And some way, in everything that they did, said, God is first. And we're just going to walk side by side. It's going to be all right. It's going to be messy. It's not going to be all beautiful all the time. We're going to do this. and It's going to be okay. And that's a beautiful example for us to look at. And what Paul is telling Timothy and Titus here is, people that you want to serve as elders are people that you can look at the men that you can look at and say hey, there's no question that guy's faithful to his wife. He's walking side by side with her and he loves her and he's faithful. And that's a good example to everybody else. That's the idea here. Timothy, uh, Titus, Paul moves on with Timothy and Titus It says manage or stand in front of your family well, men. Uh, There is a I'm going to move this back just a little bit because I think I'm getting a little bit of sand there. Does it sound okay to you guys? We're all right? Okay. I'm not going to mess with it much then because uh, like I... Something wrong. Is that, can you still hear me? It's okay? We're good? Okay. So here's here's another one. Manage or stand in front of your family well. The old King James versions translated this a little differently. They didn't say manage your family They told men to rule over your family. And boy, from all that I know and all that I understand as I have uh, looked at, I spent some time looking at some of the original language stuff the last while, and I can't help but think that that's a very unfortunate translation. Rule over your family, because if you tell us guys to rule, where our mind and heart goes immediately is control, demand, dominate, and this is how I'm just going to Uh, Live my way or the highway. That's how things are going to be. But as I understand, manage your family means to stand in front of your family. In other words, you provide that example, you stand in front of them, and you be what you need to be. It all starts with you. And uh, instead of giving me the license to rule, that is giving me the responsibility to be an example. And uh, that's a huge difference there. And see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Here's another difficulty that we've had sometimes in translations. is The idea is that children must honor their father in a, word, in a manner that is worthy of full respect. Or they must show definite respect. And boy, if my kid gets out of line, my job in Scripture right here is demand they get back in line and, and control and dominate. But I understand... But that's not what Paul is getting across here. See that his children obey him in a manner and a do, that he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. It's kind of hard to, um, to stand in front of every, anyone and demand their respect and force it on him, isn't it? I've never seen that work. I've never uh, figured out how that works. And I've tried that with my children, and um, that's not gone so well. In fact, as I've shared before, and as those of you that have older children, you know and understand, is that I had a whole lot more to say about child uh, being a, a parent and how to be a parent when I was younger than I do now, having two teenagers, not because my kids are bad. They're one, great kids. But I see so much, many, so many more shortcomings in myself than I did before. And that's just part of growing as a person i think if we're honest uh, when you have teenagers that's what every one of us learns during those times right how many of you learned a lot when you had kids Had when your kids were teenagers yep you learn a lot you grow a lot during those times and i believe what Paul's getting across here is guys your job is not to dominate But are you willing to care for, are you willing to show that example of what Christ has done for you? Remember we talked about in the last weeks, one who loves what is good. Not one who just does what is good because they have to, but one who loves what is good. One who demonstrates gentleness, not enforcing and demanding the letter of the law, but be willing to take into account the human condition and to love people through that. And someone who is above reproach, someone that doesn't uh, have all these skeletons in the closet but really wants to... um, be transparent that's what paul is talking about here see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect fellas it is our job to lead spiritually and to be that example and um and that may be not an example or, or an instruction that we like a whole lot sometimes but that's what god has given us and i believe when we do so there's a lot of freedom that comes in our own life because of that Here's another thing that Paul talks about as far as managing or standing in front of your family. It says a man whose children believe or are trustworthy. And if you look in the footnote in the translation, sometimes it will say that. Children who believe, and the footnote says, or are trustworthy, and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. And wild meaning unable to save, completely out of control, and there's, there's no hope. And then disobedient, out of step or out of order with what is everyone else is doing. That's the idea there. Now, I believe there's some extremes that we can, as we interpret this and understand it, there's some extremes, okay? And because if, let me give you an example here. What I've found with us as people, uh, we tend to not be, we tend to put a lot of uh, stock in believing that there is free will, right? We believe that God has given us free will because without free will, there cannot be love. Because that's why the tree was in the garden originally. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, because there cannot be true love if there's not absolutely a choice. And so there's that tree there in the garden, and God says, I've given you all of this. I've given you all these wonderful things. Just one rule, one rule only, don't eat of that tree. And of course, Adam and Eve did what? Ate of that tree. right? Because there has to be choice. If there's not a choice, then we don't know if we really again, make the choice to love someone else. And that's how God has always given us that choice. And so what I've noticed is sometimes we believe that, that there's always a choice in everything we do in life, or most everything we do in life, except this one particular thing. Let me give you an example here. If we look at this and say, all right, someone who is going to serve as an elder must have Children that all have become Christians and continue to live faithfully. And if they have not, then that is a disqualification for that person ever serving as, as a shepherd in God's church. And I struggle with that, and I'll tell you why. Because it's really hard for us to say that people have free will, and they have free will all the way across the board, except in this particular situation. In this particular station, if there's somewhere that a child decides not to follow and not to become a Christian, then somewhere that reflects poorly on the father, and the father must have done something different way back when, and if he would, then that child would not have made that decision when they were 25, 30, 40, whatever. You see the problem there? You see the difficulty there? And I struggle with that some. And when you look down here at the bottom, definition, this comes from a Greek dictionary is faithful means that which evokes trust and faith, the state of being someone to whom confidence can be placed, faithfulness, reliability, fidelity, and commitment. And so what I'm, cons- what I'm cautious about is when you read the prophets, for example, God says, wasn't I a good God to you? Didn't I do everything right? Didn't I bless you enough? Why on earth do you as a people run away from me? And I wonder just a little bit sometimes if when we talk about being Look at this passage and talk about how the children turn out from those who are spiritual leaders. Do we try to make people more spiritual than God Himself is capable of being? Okay, Do you see the point there? I think that's worth wrestling with. Because if Paul is trying to get across to Timothy, a person who serves as a spiritual shepherd should be one whose children are trustworthy, children that you look at and say, oh, yeah. He's done a good job. This has been a good family. They're not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And those that have, and and I think those that have decided they're not going to follow God, if you walk up and ask them, did you see the love of God from your dad? They say, oh, yeah, he's wonderful. He's amazing. I saw the love of God from him. I just chose to do something else. I think we have to take that into account, okay? I'm just pouring my heart out here trying to wrestle through it all on my own. But all that to say is, Fellas, our job is to provide that example so that our kids can look and say, that's what I want to be, is that following Christ is not a burden. Following Christ is, as Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's there walking beside us. There's one part of the yoke here, one part of the yoke there, and I don't want to walk through life without God walking side by side with me, and I'm excited about that. Things to consider, things to wrestle with. But that's part of our job as, as dads to, um, to be that example. Here's another. Um, be hospitable. Now, this whenever this term comes up, hospitable, those of us who are introvert, introverts typically start sweating and thinking, oh, no, what on earth does this mean? Does that mean that I have to get out of my comfort zone? Um, I'm going to say yes and no, but I'll explain it here. The term hospitable means one who loves strangers. Now, there are some of us, as we see in Scripture, It's just like giving. Being generous is something that God calls all of us to do, but some people are way better at it than others, right? And the same is true with hospitality. We're all called to be hospitable, but some people are way better at it than others. There's amazing people that just... Their home is full of people, and they just welcome everybody in. They've never met somebody they don't love. They've never met a stranger. And we know those people in our lives, those people that have impacted us that way. And there's others of us that are like, forget that. I'm not doing that. And uh, whenever you tried to step out of your comfort zone there, it just doesn't seem to go awesome. So let me share this. There's a lot of ways that every one of us can love the strangers around us and show hospitality. Sometimes it means coming into our home. Sometimes it doesn't in the world that we live in. But sitting down to have coffee with someone else and just loving them where they're at, that's hospitality. When someone new comes into our the church here and in into our community and you don't know them and you walk across the auditorium or you say, hey, it's really good to meet you. I'm glad you're here. That's hospitality. That's being hospitable. If you're participating in a life group and you think, oh, man, all right, I think I'm going to say something. I don't really want to say something, but I'm going to. And you say something that is encouraging to the other people that are there. That's part of hospitality. Now, all those things, there's any number of ways that any one of us can say, there's a person there that is an outsider, and I'm going to bring them in in some form or fashion. And that's, hosp- that's hospitality. The opposite of hospitality is I'm going to live in my bubble and I'm only going to do the things that keep me in my comfort zone and I don't care what anybody else does. Man, we can't live that way as a community if we do that. And so I encourage all of us to just take a step to be hospitable in some form or fashion because that's what God calls for all of us. So here it is. Fusion in our families. Here's some things. Fellas... Live so that there is no question that you're faithful to your spouse if you're married. Um, if you're not married, just be faithful to the, whatever situation God has called you in at this point in time. Manage your family honorably and respectfully. This is not about domination. This is not about I'm the dad so I get to rule over. This is about I'm the dad. I get to provide this example of what Christ is to the rest of my family. Guide your children to love God and their families. Uh, that is... Um, um, that's the... The big thing for us, guys, to be that example to uh, the people around us so they can look at us and say, man, that's something that I want, something that I love. I see something really good there. And then be willing to show others how to love God in the home. Don't just keep it to yourself, but share it with other people. And all this, um, hopefully this gives some insight as we're going through this elder selection process. Uh, We have about the next week that we want uh, to hear back from everybody. And remember, this is not... Uh, this process is not something that uh, just a few of us do. It's a process that we want everybody's insight in. And uh, you're welcome to pick up a, a form in the back and and uh, fill it out this next week prayerfully. And uh, I'm excited for for you as mothers. Hopefully somewhere, somehow in all this message today, there's some encouragement that came out that uh, we're really thankful for you and the role that you have, whether uh, whatever your situation is right now. Um, I know that uh, I'm very thankful for my mom. I hope you're thankful for your mom, and I hope uh, the church and the community here makes you feel uh, very blessed and wonderful today uh, for the role that you serve. If you'd like to become a Christian like prayers of the church, welcome to head to the back. We'll go into, I uh, uh, think we have a song next, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. guys find it back there? Still getting used to a new uh, service format, so you guys are doing awesome back there. There we go. so it's we bow down there we go you are lord of creation and lord of my life lord of the land and the sea you are lord of heavens before there was time lord of all lords you will be We bow down and we worship you, Lord. We bow down and we worship you.